Let's go over now and introduce my guest. She is a, a person that we've invited to be a part of our conversation with Remarkable Minds. We're going to talk about our reliance and survival based on the oceans and our oceans are at risk. She is Dr. Sylvia Earle. She is clearly one of America's great ocean graphic, uh, ocean experts and ocean explorers, and she has fondly been called a living legend by the Library of Congress. Dr. Earl is presently the National Geographic Explorer in Residence and chair of the Advisory Councils of the Heart Research Institute in Ocean in Google Earth. She has led over 400 marine expeditions, chalked up approximately 7,000 hours underwater. She holds the world's record in women's solo diving and has walked untethered on the seafloor at a lower depth than any other human being. She has earned over 100 awards for her work in ocean exploration, including the prestigious TED Prize in 2008 for being held as Time Magazine's first, quote, hero for the planet. And uh, she is very concerned. She is also an author. Her most recent publication is The World is Blue, How Our Fate and the Oceans Are One. Nice to have you with us today. Great to be on board. At this moment, there is a great deal of hoopla over the UN Climate Change Conference plan for Copenhagen next month, and the issue on global warming constantly turns over and over again to polluting technologies of greenhouse gases and CO2 emissions and melting ice sheets and what is occurring on terrestrial land where people live. Yet, there is so much to be discussed on a much larger expanse of the Earth's surface, the planet's ocean, that usually takes a back seat in the debate, and people just take it for granted that the oceans are there, they are blue, and we don't really see what is occurring underneath the surface compared to witnessing wildfires in California or severe droughts in, in Texas or developing nations. So I would first like to, you to share the deep relationship that exists between the oceans and the survival of human and animal life on land. Well... Astronauts gave us, uh, I think, a great perspective when, starting in the 1960s and ever since, uh, that perspective from space that this planet is blessed with a lot of water. Without the water, there's no life, no blue, no green, <laughs> and none of the rest of what we care about. The ocean is the key to climate, to weather, to life itself. If we fail to take care of the oceans, then we fail to take care of uh, essentially all that, that else that matters. We've taken the ocean for granted because basically until recently we could. We did not have the capacity to alter the nature of the ocean and therefore the nature of nature until, well, fairly recent years. Uh, although even two centuries ago, uh, with primitive tools and rather modest means of getting around the planet on the ocean, we're still able to reduce the number of large mammals in the sea. And that process has continued, not just with the big mammals, the whales, the dolphins, the walruses, and sea lions and seals and such, but now in the last 50 years, we've managed to extract on the order of 90% of the big fish as well. Huh. It's amazing that through all of the history of the planet, four and a half billion years, there's been nothing that has the power that we now have to alter the nature of nature. 
um, no species anyway. I mean, there there have been catastrophic catastrophic events over over the ages that have greatly uh, altered the nature of the world. Now we can count ourselves among them. Uh, that's would seem like a lot of bad news, but the good news is that we also have the capacity to understand where we are in the greater scheme of things, to, to see how we are influencing the world, the air above, the waters, the other forms of life that share the planet with us. And we, we understand also why things are changing. We are the, the agent of that change. And we're probably the only species on the planet that can do anything about what is going on. So with the bad news, there's a lot of good news. We have the capacity to understand and then to act. Why do you feel there is such ignorance about the importance of the ocean to human life among citizens, especially among politicians and legislators? And if you could speak to Obama about the crisis humanity faces regarding our diseasing of the oceans, what would you say in light of the fact he's already twice now gone on record saying nothing's going to happen in Copenhagen, and that's because his administration and Congress refuses to make the manufacturers who are polluting accountable, and therefore nothing is going to happen. Well, nothing. if nothing happens, that is a decision. It's a decision by default, basically. Uh, we are at a critical point in history. As never before, have we understood the importance of the natural systems to everything we care about whether it's the economy, our health, security. Fundamentally, we care about life itself. And all of that, everything, is at risk because of the changes that we're making to the natural systems that keep us alive. Uh, It's now on center stage, the changes that we're making to the atmosphere, carbon dioxide emissions driving the warming trend, well, accelerating the natural warming trend, it has been slowly progressing over the last 10,000 years or so. And it's true, ice ages come, ice ages go, there are these natural patterns. But we have greatly enhanced that, that warming trend through the addition of greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide most significantly, but also methane and, and so on. So knowing this and knowing that if you look at the trends, Anyone who has power, and everyone does have some power, some more than others, and President Obama certainly has uh, great power at this critical point in history, should use the power to basically stabilize, do everything we can to stabilize the natural systems that keep us alive and are the underpinnings of everything else. Again, economy, security, our health and so on. And, and well, it, <laughs> the power really comes from the voice of the people in, in many ways. If we insist upon changes, uh, the political powers around the world are likely more likely to respond than if we are either silent or if we have a different point of view. But the real problem is, is not knowing, not understanding how vital maintaining the integrity of 
these natural systems really really is. People don't know that oxygen, most of the oxygen that we breathe comes from the sea. I mean, 70%. And it doesn't just happen as a physical um, a consequence of the, the fact that there's water and rocks. It happens because there's life. Life in the ocean, life on the land. The trees that we know and love generating oxygen, uh, taking up carbon dioxide, governing the basic systems that, that keep us alive. Uh, every little kid should, as a part of learning their ABCs and their, their numbers, understand something about the water cycle, the carbon cycle, the oxygen cycle, the nitrogen cycle, the, the, these basic patterns that are connections to the natural world, and that if we fail to take care of them, we fail to take care of ourselves. So President Obama, use your power understand, and he's certainly a brilliant man, has the, uh, the capacity to really get it, that what we're doing to the natural world, what we're doing to the oceans, we are doing to ourselves. Take care of them. We're taking care of our economy, our health, <laughs> our security, ourselves. I appreciate that answer. Thank you very much. Walk us through, please, the issue of pH balance in the oceans and what are the predicted outcomes when the ocean's acidity tips too much. And also, there was a front-page story in the New York Times yesterday about how all of Brooklyn's uh, sewer system is beyond uh, its, uh, its capacity to handle even a mild rainstorm. In fact, the experts said that at 20 minutes into a mild rainstorm, the system is overflowing. They shut down the treatment facility. Most people, I didn't know this, and that means all of that untreated feces, all the chemicals, everything that goes out of a sink in a business, a corporation, or a toilet goes directly into waterways and not through treatment processing and that the system is almost 100 years old, even though Congress allocated to upgrade it and did uh, in the 1970s. But this is what bothers me. We're not paying attention to what ends up in our oceans. Now, I just went down to the Mississippi. I was just down there to film for a documentary I'm doing on this. And you can take a plane and see that the dead zone, the mouth of Mississippi, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But we have hundreds of these now, and people are clueless about what happens to what goes out of their bodies, out of their companies, into the water. Could you take us on that journey to explain this to us and how it impacts everything in that water system? Well, for the first time in all of our history, we can literally hold the world in our hands. You can... Um, look at Google Earth and turn it around. Uh, we used to do it in school, looking at a globe, but now we have this wonderful capacity. Anybody can download Google Earth and look at the way things connect one way or another. Information that has come about just in my lifetime, a lifetime of listeners out there, even if you're only 10 years old, what we've learned in, in the last decade uh, shows how connected everything is. That what happens in Africa, the winds blowing across the Sahara bring dust to New York City, to the whole eastern seaboard of, the, of North America, and across the country, dusting the snows of, of Colorado and then onward across the Pacific. 
uh, we now, for the first time in all of history, have the capacity to see how one thing ties to another. We have come along at a time when population has increased at an unprecedented level. Uh, In my lifetime, population has tripled. The size of the planet has not. The infrastructure for cities such as New York, Washington, Chicago, all over the world, the big cities and the little ones too, were built during mostly during a different time, built to accommodate a certain pressure of, of growth and numbers and so on. We have overwhelmed that infrastructure around the world. And we, we now understand the consequences as never before and do have the power with this understanding to act on it. You know, a problem is really a problem if you don't know you've got it. We have a problem. It's, the question now is, are we willing to face up to it and do something about it? So wake up, New York City. Look, you, you've kind of outgrown your capacity to deal with the, the numbers of people who are putting pressures on this system, and the, the infrastructure is aging. It wasn't built to last 10,000 years. It was built with the idea that it would be constantly improved and upgraded, but it's become basically overwhelmed, largely because of our, of our sheer numbers. And, and what we do has also changed. Uh, we we apply more pressure uh, per individual than individuals who were around a century ago, half a century ago. So now that we are in a position to understand and to begin to make the connections, it is the time to act. Knowing is the key, but it has to be followed by doing something. I, you know, just a a week or so ago, I had occasion to to be with Jane Goodall, the primatologist who's become world-renowned for her understanding of some of our closest relatives, the, the chimpanzees. She points out that we can even accept blood transfusions from chimpanzees. So closely related are we uh, in terms of our chemistry. And yet, and yet, chimpanzees do not have radio programs such as this to discuss problems. Uh, they don't. They have not formed the technology that gives the capacity to, to understand what's happening. Um, other creatures have great intelligence, dolphins. Um, horses and dogs and cats are known to be reasonably intelligent. But when you think of creatures that have been around as long as we have, or in some cases longer, some whales can live to be 200 years old. Some fish, like orange ruffy, can be 200 years old. They, they may perceive that the world around them has changed, but they don't know why, and they don't know what to do about it. Humans do know why, and we are empowered to do something about it. We're the only creatures who can. The question is, are we going to just be complacent and let the world that we know is changing because of actions that we have imposed upon the planet and just just go with the flow and and in the process of uh, these changes that are taking place see a loss maybe an elimination of things that that we really care about largely ourselves and all that we have created could we break this Uh, into excuse me could we could we break your comment into two parts please 
One is that there are definitely people in this audience, and this is a worldwide audience, who will do what they can, but then there are those people who are less likely to do something because they believe that it's too big, that they're making uh, making any change won't make a difference, and that if our government has chosen to be political about it rather than realistic, they can't outweigh the power of the government. So we have to look at it from what we can individually do that is proactive and positive uh, and versus what the government is not willing to do and in all likelihood in this administration as the last and the one before that won't make the big changes that are necessary. But why can't we as individuals at the grassroots level start to make some changes? Could you take us through what you would suggest we begin to do? And one other Absolutely. issue. Could you Absolutely. Please, Everyone could you, has power. Could you also Everyone. <laughs> little kids have power to influence the people around them, um, their fellow kids, if you will, and and the their parents and the teachers and others they come in contact with. Uh, when I was chief scientist at NOAA, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, letters that came in that were just form letters were noted, but mostly they were weighed. <laughs> or numbered, you know, how many came in. Uh, those that were personally uh, written got much more attention and were personally answered. Those that came for kids got answered, but they got put up on the bulletin board. They got passed around. They really touched people in ways that those from adults generally did not. So kids can use that, that appeal, that power, that they are the future, and they may not appreciate it, as much as those of us who've been around for a while, but they should not think that they, their voices are not important. They are. Um, that everyone can choose in their everyday lives to make more or less responsible decisions, but it all starts with knowing and understanding that what we allow to go down the drains winds up in the sea, that when you toss something uh, into the garbage, it may wind up in the ocean, depending on how the garbage is, is treated or not. Um, every, yeah, the, the big differences that have taken place, the changes in our human society, happen because some individual, somebody, was moved either positively or, in some cases, not so positively, negatively. But it all starts with somebody who has an idea and then doesn't just sit on it. They act. And the, there's a, a, a woman in Texas who was fed up with seeing all the trash on the beach. And so she, as one individual, started picking it up. And, and others were inspired by her example and, and started to emulate what she was doing. And it began the great cleanup. Uh, Linda Marinas is her, was her name. The Center for Marine Conservation, now the Ocean Conservancy, now uh, really sponsors... Uh, beach cleanups, not just in the United States, but around the world. It's an idea that makes sense. If you see something that's wrong, fix it. You don't have to wait for a committee or an act of Congress or even a city ordinance. If it's out of kilter, if, if you can see that it's not good for your community or for you personally, then just do something about it. D- Dr. Earl, hold your thoughts. We're going to say goodbye to WMYE and hello to the Internet. To all the individuals listening all over the world right now over the Internet, I welcome you. 
Uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle is my guest. Uh, she is quite simply one of the single most important voices of reason when it comes to understanding how precious the uh, capacity of the ocean is to our lives. Now, I appreciate what you were just saying, that people can make a difference. I'm a big believer in the same. But I need you to go through a few areas, if you would, please. For example, I have friends who said that they moved to Hawaii because of the beauty and lack of pollution. Now they say that is no longer the case, that pollution uh, from overdevelopment, pollution from a lot of the pesticides in the uh, pineapple and mango fields. But then when they took a trip recently, they were flying, and suddenly they saw something that really puzzled them. They said it just went on and on and on. Are you ready for this? For more than two hours, they saw what looked like a massive plastic island, and but it wasn't an island. It was one of the most... Uh, horrific uh, environmental disasters anywhere in the world. Could you talk about that plastic that's floating out there in the Pacific? Sure. I come from the pre-plasticozoic era of the planet. When I, was, when I arrived, uh, people did not have Ziploc bags. <laughs> there wasn't plastic. Plastic is a phenomenon that has largely come from the latter part of the 20th century, and now it serves us very well, actually, the development of various plastics. Um, we use it in endless ways to support our, our lives around the world. But it's what we do with it once it's finished. We're finished with with the products that are developed. And, and one of the insidious things is the, the one-time use, use of, of the products that are made of plastic. Plastic cups, plastic forks, plastic um, bottles... Uh, the Ziploc bag phenomenon and, and so on that have just somehow convinced us that we can use it once and then throw it away. And, and that's and then as if there is an away. There is no away on this planet. This is a tiny little blue speck in, in the universe. And what we put anywhere is a part of, of our home, if you will. We just haven't somehow generally achieve that perspective that what we do to any part of the planet affects all of the planet in one way or another. So, yes, in the ocean, out in the Pacific, but throughout the oceans of the world, there is plastic debris. Um, some beaches are so uh, filled with what they call nurdles, the little beginning points for plastic production, the little tiny beads of plastic that are so small and so light they escape from their processing plants and and basically fly all over the world. They're, when they are in sand, kids sometimes find them. They call them mermaids, tears. They look like little, little clear spheres. Or, but anyway, that plus the the small pieces of plastic. Plastic is wonderful in that it lasts a long time. And, and while there are claims about plastic degrading, in fact, most forms of plastic um, break up into smaller and smaller pieces, but they don't go away. They get to such small pieces, in fact, that they're now affecting the planktonic organisms in the sea. Little copepods and larval fish and 
oysters and clams that are filter feeders. They engulf these minute pieces of plastic. A little fish was picked up from deep water off the coast of plastic and was examined and found to have 82 pieces of plastic in its tiny little gullet. You know, little fish two inches long. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, it contained mostly plastic. Birds that feed in the high seas, albatrosses and other sea, uh, high seas birds, pick up these pieces of plastic and feed them to their young, thinking that, that this is something nutritious. And in fact, tens of thousands of seabirds are dying now, even before they have a chance to fly, because their stomachs are so full of plastic, fed to them by well-meaning parents. Uh, this is a problem. How large is that? How large is it? Is to know you've got it, and uh, this is beginning to be headline news about how much junk we've thrown into the ocean. Now it's coming back to haunt us. How did all that come together in one mass? Well, the currents in the ocean uh, form this great circular pattern. They call it a gyre. It's true in the North Pacific, in the South Pacific. All of the major ocean basins have these these great circular currents that tend to gather and accumulate high concentrations. But when people say, how big is this garbage patch in the ocean? Some say it's as big as Texas. Some say it's twice as big. Some say, no, it's as big as the United States or China. I say it's really as big as all of the ocean because everywhere this plastic debris and other forms of pollution, some of it more insidious because it's not as conspicuous. You, you mentioned earlier the changes in chemistry through excess carbon dioxide that it's not only in the atmosphere, it's also in the ocean. Excess carbon dioxide is, is driving global warming on the surface, but in the sea it is driving a trend toward acidification. Uh, carbon dioxide in excess becomes carbonic acid. It's bad news for coral reefs. It's bad news for the planktonic creatures with calcium carbonate shells, but it really it's bad news for all forms of life. Everything is sensitive one way or the other to the acidity or alkalinity of, of their environment. It's true with our stomachs, you know, an alkaline or an acidic <laughs> circumstance can mean a good day or a not good day. Um, there, there are lots of fundamental things about the chemistry of the planet that we should learn as kids, and if we haven't learned it as kids, we should start learning right now about how the world works, what we're doing to it, what the consequences are back to us. We don't think, perhaps, many people don't think that the ocean matters. They don't think that what happens to the sea, garbage patch of plastic debris or acidification, should make any difference to them if they live inland. Uh, they don't see the ocean. They never touch the ocean. But people should realize that the ocean touches them, it touches you, it touches all of us. With every breath we take, with every drop of water we drink, we're connected to the ocean. We're connected to life in the ocean because it's a living ocean that drives the oxygen cycle, the living ocean that, that really connects the chemistry of, of all of that water to all of the rest of the planet. Dr. Arrow, I appreciate you taking this time. I, I know you're busy, but if you could spare in the near future a half hour 
again, I have so many more questions about coal and the myth of clean coal and what mm. it's doing to the oceans. I want to talk about the dr- dr- drastic removal and kill of some fish species. I also want to uh, ask you about uh, the culprits responsible for environmental degradation with private industries and the military. Um, and since only 1% of the oceans are actually protected, uh, what we can do. So if you could find time, I certainly would appreciate I know my audience would appreciate a continuing of this conversation. I would love to do that. Thank love you. love to find ways to enhance the protection for wild places in the sea and on the land. It all ties together. Well, keep in mind, this is the largest radio audience in the world of pro-environmental active, active individuals. So they will do things. You have no idea how many people are listening to your words and will start to be proactive. And hopefully they'll start by reading The World is Blue, our, How Our Fate and the Oceans Are One. It's a National Geographic's book. My guest, Dr. Sylvia Earle. Continuation of our conversations with Remarkable Minds. We certainly look forward to the second part of our interview. All the best to you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> 